You know, we can never learn enough about God. That really should be one of our our greatest desires is to know him more, to learn more about God. And the more we learn about God, the more we'll see his love and compassion. Would you open your Bible, please, to 1 John chapter 4. Give you a minute to turn there, and then we'll have a word of prayer. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. You may keep your seats, but I'd like if you would read out loud with me verse number 19. First John chapter 4. Now that's not the gospel of John chapter 4. That's First John near the end of the Bible. First John chapter 4 and verse number 19. Read it out loud now with me, please. We love him because he first loved us. Now let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we ask that you would help open the eyes of our understanding tonight and help us to see something that we may not fully understand this side of heaven, this side of eternity, and that is your love. The subject is a deep one. All we can do, Lord, is sort of touch upon it, really, in our time that we have tonight. But Lord, in that, in that time, you can do so much. We know that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you can gather all of your children from across the face of the whole world. You can gather them together and bring them home to heaven all in the twinkling of an eye. There, there's no limit to your power. We ask that in our, our time together, you would make known to us, make a little more real to us your wonderful love for each of us and we'll praise you in Jesus name amen why in the world does God love us you know yourself that some days you're not as lovable as you are on other days to me you're all lovely people and I love you all the time but you know some days we get up and we have to look at what we what we call the man in the mirror or the lady in the mirror and they look back at us and they don't they don't look as good as we wish they did. And they sometimes don't behave as well as we wish they did. Why does God love us? Why? And as I mentioned, it, it's probably something that we're not going to fully understand, at least this side of heaven. You know, I, I'm not sure if we're ever going to fully, fully understand it because the answer really plums the depth of God himself, and God is eternal. So we may never fully, fully come to the entire answer on that question. But I do think that it's probably one of the most profound questions ever asked. Why does God love us? Why? Well, no human has ever been able to answer that sufficiently, that's for sure. God doesn't love us because we're so lovable, Let's be honest. He doesn't, he knows, he knows what we're like. He doesn't love us because we deserve to be loved. That's true. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. We don't deserve it. And yet he has this tremendous love for us. The state of mankind, in my opinion, since the fall of man, 
has been rebellion and disobedience. And in my opinion, I think it's worse now than ever before. Um, I know that in the days of Noah, it was so bad that God sent a flood. You know, I, I don't know. Seems to me we're worse now than back then. It seems to me there's more ways to sin. There's more people to commit sin as well. God doesn't just love. And this is something I think that may be an interesting thought for us. God doesn't just love. God is love. He is love. He just doesn't love. He actually is love. And maybe this is why it makes it even more complicated to try and understand why it is he loves us. His very nature, his essence is love. And love permeates his very being. Love infuses every, of his, uh, every one of his other attributes. Even his wrath and anger. There's love involved in that too. Because God's very nature is love, we must... He, sorry, he must demonstrate love just as he must demonstrate his other attributes. And in doing so, it glorifies him. You think about it. God created this world for us. If you've read your Bible, you know that God created this world for us. God literally chose us. He literally died for us on the cross. And he cares for us each and every day. Even the days that we're a little on the wayward side or just downright lousy, he still cares for us. I'm going to read off a couple of verses from the Bible. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us. You're still in 1 John chapter 4? Look please at verse 7. I'm going to get you to help me to read now a couple verses. Verses 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8. Read out loud. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And also verse 10, read that too. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means like a satisfaction. It's kind of a legal word, a legal satisfaction. Turn back a page to chapter number 3 of 1 John. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Read that out loud with me now, please. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. A Christian once wrote a very interesting poem. I'd like to read it for you. The poem describes their love for God. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee for giving me breath to praise. I love thee for all that you've done for me. In deepest love you bore my sin penalty. And through what you have done on a cruel cross... I can pray in faith and you'll still come across. With answers to prayer as I continue to trust, your power has a loving and faithful thrust. You provide shelter, food and clothing to wear and commission me to the challenge with others to share of things of this life and that which is enduring. The gospel of Christ, our eternal strong mooring. I love thee for causing your goodness to reflect through family, friends, and teachers I respect. I love thee for your word which teaches right and wrong and my soul is pointed to you through beautiful song. I love thee for showing me your artistic impression as seen in what you've created with gifted expression. I love thee for giving me the Holy Spirit, my comforter, a still, small voice, and yet I can hear it. I love that I can trust that by you I'm being led. So intimately I'm known, even the number of hairs on my head. I love thee for your compassion, the goodness of your ways. I love thee that you promise to be with me all my days. I thought that was a nice poem. You know, we can never learn enough about God. That really should be one of our, our greatest desires, is to know Him more, to learn more about God. And the more we learn about God, the more we'll see His love and compassion. One of the men of our church um, I think it was yesterday, met up with two fellows, two strangers, who, who appeared to be like they were witnessing for Jesus. And as, as he spoke with them, it became very clear that they were extremely pharisaical. They were really out to lunch with all of their, their little laws and condemning the man in our church and condemning his wife because they weren't following the laws as these two fellows thought. And when the man in our church asked them about what church they go to, oh no, all churches are corrupt. They don't go to any churches. They're all led the wrong way. And these two poor fellows were just blinded. 
And one thing that really stood out to our dear brother is that there was no compassion. There was no love in these fellows. Now, were they genuinely born again? Only God knows. But you would hope, wouldn't you, that if someone has Jesus in them, some of the love of Christ would show, show through? You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Couldn't see any. Our dear brother couldn't see any in these two fellows. They were just so pharisaical, so legalistic, so condemning. That's all they were. What a shame. How sad. In 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. Think about that. We love him because he first loved us. And because he first loved us, that's why we love him. There's an interesting story told about a boy who had a pet canary bird. And canary birds love to sing. And he loved this little bird. And at some point, his mother got very ill. And the sound of the birds chirping and singing irritated her. You know, there are noises that do irritate people. For some people, it's the scraping down the blackboard. They, <gasps> uh, they can't stand that. For others, it's a constant drip of the kitchen sink. Drives them batty. You know, I just discovered one that I have. I didn't know this. I, I always kind of <laughs> didn't like this sound, but I didn't sort of put two and two together until recently. And it's when our little dog, Charlie, starts licking. And it's the sound of when he licks. I don't care if he licks. That's what dogs do. But the sound of it, I can only take so much of it. <laughs> and I have to say, okay, Charlie, that's enough. Well, this, uh, this boy's mother got sick. And so the sound of her son's canary was just uh, hard on her. And one day she told him. The little boy went out of his mother's bedroom and he went downstairs. He picked up the cage with his little canary in it. And he took it to a friend's home and he gave away his canary. And he came back home. Came back to see his mother. Said, Mommy, my birdie will never bother you again. She said, Why? What did you do? I gave him away. Ah, <gasps> she said, But sweetheart, you love that bird. I know you love that little bird. And he said, Mommy, I love you so much more. And how could I love something that's hurting you? And this should be our attitude toward God. We should love him more than we love something else. And if there's something, anything in our lives that's displeasing to the Lord, it shouldn't take us more than two seconds to figure out what to do. And we ought to get rid of those things, whether they be in our minds or our hearts or in our homes or in our pockets. We ought to get rid of anything that would displease our Lord. You know that wonderful 
story that was written, written by a preacher many years ago. My heart is Christ's home. You know that story? It's sort of an allegory or kind of a parable. And Jesus came to live with this man. And he said, Lord, I'm pleased, I'm honored you'd come to live in my house. And this will be your room. And I've got it all fixed up for you. And the Lord uh, said, thank you. And then the Lord asked about, what's in this room over here? Oh, Lord, you wouldn't want to go in that room. There's something in there that you might not understand. Oh, said the Lord. Well, to make a long story short, the man finally realized, I, I can't keep the Lord out of, I can't box him into one room. I'll get rid of that thing and then he'll have more freedom in the house. And room by room, as the Lord would ask, what's in this room? The man would have to deal with certain things. And finally, the entire house was cleansed and free for the Lord to go anywhere he wanted except one room, one small closet. And the Lord said, what's in that closet? Lord, and man struggled. Aren't you satisfied with all the rest of this house? This one closet. Can't we just leave this be? I've got some old things in there that have been in my life for a long time. Can't we just let it go? Your decision, said the Lord. But the man could see in the Lord's eyes that he was sad. And so he thought about it and he decided, no, nothing is too great a sacrifice for my Lord, what he's done for me. And so the man cleaned out the closet and he invited the Lord to come and look at the closet and it was clean. And the Lord smiled and this made the man so happy that his home was now free for the Lord to go wherever he wanted. And so the story is, my heart is Christ's home. And there shouldn't be anything, should there? There shouldn't be anything in our hearts that would cause the Lord grief and sadness because, you know, he died for us. He died for our sins. And the more we hang on to sin, the more we're hanging on to the very thing that nailed him to the cross. Well, tonight is a communion service. And if you know the Lord is your Savior and you're living your life for him, we want to encourage you to partake of the communion service. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you'd like to open your Bible to chapter 11... And the real meat and potatoes begins in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. There are churches that teach the way to heaven is through communion. 
and that you partake of this and it gives you sort of like brownie points. You build up enough brownie points and you'll get to heaven. And of course, that's not true because this is not done for salvation. This is done in remembrance. And verse 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, ye show the Lord's death till he come. And then we're given instruction concerning uh, unsaved people, people who are not born again. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. This is not talking about some form of Christian humility where we say, oh Lord, I will never be worthy. It's not talking about that. It's talking about someone who is worthless. They are unworthy. There's no worth in them. They're not born again. They're not saved. And in the church of Corinth, that was a big problem. They had a lot of unsaved people in there partaking of the Lord's table. And Paul wrote and said, you know, that's not good. It's not supposed to be that way. By the way, if you've ever read through the Gospels, you'll know that in the upper room on that fateful night when they had their last meal together, the Lord Jesus, he took out a basin of water and a towel. Remember this? And he washed the feet of all 12 disciples. That's 24 feet Jesus washed. And after that, Judas left. He left the room, the upper room. There were 11 disciples left. Those were the saved ones. And those are the ones to whom Jesus gave the communion service. And so primarily, the communion service is for men and women, young people who are born again, saved. It's not for the unsaved. So verse 28, he says, but let a man examine himself. Now over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And so here in the context, here is someone who's not saved and if he goes ahead and partakes, he's guilty of the, of the body and blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious. I've said it before that if you're not born again, if you're not saved, this simple communion service could kill you by partaking. You're better off not to partake. Let a man examine himself Find out if he's saved. Am I saved? Am I really saved? And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, there's that word again, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. That's a pretty strong word. That's a word that's reserved for people who are in hell. So unsaved people, they eat and they drink to themselves damnation, not discerning the Lord's body. They have no spiritual eyes to, to know what's right and wrong and to discern. And verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So, that's why I say, if you're not saved, partaking could be injurious to your health. You could get 
sick. These days we talk about COVID, right? That's on everyone's minds. Oh, COVID this, COVID that. Well, I don't know. I couldn't say this for sure, but I wonder. It just makes me wonder if anywhere in the world, if some unsaved people have gone ahead, partaken in the communion service, and then later gotten COVID. I couldn't say for sure. It's only just a random thought. But the principle is true, that God will send judgment upon unsaved people who partake. That's why every time we have a communion service, we always try to make it very clear. If you're saved, you know you're saved, and you're living for the Lord, this is for you. So in verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, now we're talking about Christians judging sin within us. Lord, I'm sorry, I messed up here. I've sinned there. Please forgive me. I confess it before you. That's what God asks us to do. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That God won't have to do it if we do it ourselves. If we would keep short accounts with sin, then God won't have to bring you know, the, uh, the chastisement into our lives. Um, but, verse 32, when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. There's his love again. When we do sin and we don't confess it, and we hold out on the Lord, then God has to, to judge it. He has to bring in consequences. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. You know what would be a good idea right now is for us just to have a little silent prayer with the Lord. What do you think? Why don't we do that? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.